Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. Episode 116. Goodness. Wow. We made it. <laughs> we have... How do we keep going? Because I'm getting tired. <laughs> I don't know. The other day, like, it was like, th- no, two weeks ago, and I was like, there's nothing more for us to talk about. We've done everything. I'm just... <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> We've talked about literally everything possible. We're going to start <laughs> repeating topics now. So I watch the web show by Trixie and Katya, Drag Queens. Uh-huh. Uh, that's their the name of the web show. <laughs> and they decided to do an episode about, I think it was Time again. And they did an episode on Time in like season two or three. And they're now on season seven. They're like, yeah, we're just going to start repeating topics. <laughs> or we're going to do a rewatch series now where we watch old episodes of us and we comment on our oh past <laughs> looks and what we said in the past. So I think that's the next step for us is to uh-huh. do a... Uh, continual re-listen podcast where we just listen to ourselves (laughs) from the past and comment on it yes no i'd be totally game for that because i think about this once in a while and i've been like trying to like go back and listen to some of our old podcasts and i just can't bring myself to do it yet um because i feel like we were very different people back then i mean this was just before the pandemic you know for starters so we were a lot more hopeful a lot more optimistic about things going on Which, like, even then, like, wasn't that super optimistic, but we were still more. <laughs> that and, like, I th- I felt like we'd already, like, definitely talked a lot about how much dating sucks. But I feel like we had a little bit more hope in that sphere as well. And we had the desire to get married back then, too. Yeah, which was kind of the original basis for having this podcast. To be able to talk about those things, about what it is like to be single, which is like in our church, just defined as not being in a relationship, as in just the opposite, the the preparation state for being in a relationship. And we've definitely spun, like we've stepped away from that. We've let go of that idea of what is essentially required within the church to for our happiness, for salvation. And we're just like, no, but we can be happy and we can be have salvation in other ways and so like i'm really glad like we've been able to like step out of that like narrow-minded zone it's yeah it's funny to think about how we were when we first started because i remember the episode right before 2020 started where we were like thank god 2019 is over i'm so ready for a new year (laughs) and uh, listening to that now or thinking about that now i'm just like oh sweetie you had no idea what was coming in 2020 and the absolute shitstorm it would be from then on oh my god yeah it hasn't gotten better (laughs) it hasn't No, and I'm just thinking about all the crap that went on in my personal life in 2019, and I'm just like, that was a really messy year. Like I, Same. I, and I'm I don't usually have messy years. Everyone else gets the drama in their lives. Like mine's like super chill, super quiet. Very little ever changes. And every year, 2019 on has just been like, here's this dramatic thing happening in my life. Yeah, and yeah, when does it stop? Same. It's so funny because I feel like the 2019 going into 2020 was the last time we felt genuine hope for the future. And at (laughs) this point, like, I think everyone has been able to hear it die slowly from us Mm -hmm. as time has gone on where our hope and dreams have just slowly died over the last two years. Yes. 
Our dreams used to be a lot bigger and now they're very small and we're just like, we just need to make it through today if we can, but also that's not needed. If we don't survive, that's totally okay. It's fine. It's fine. We're like, if I die, at least make it quick. Like, (laughs) please just take me out real quick. Preferably painless and then boom, just done. We've turned into such nihilists and it's so (laughs) funny to me. Like how much has changed over the last oh my gosh. two, yep. almost three years. Mm-hmm. Well, and then it's also been interesting to see how that compares to other people as well, because I don't feel like that's always happened for everyone else. Like I've had friends who have like left the church during this time frame mm-hmm. and like they've like gotten like really happy and like really hopeful in a lot of ways. And there's other people who've like stayed very strong in the church and they're like still super strong and passionate about it. And now we're just like, we are very strong and passionate about our beliefs, but they definitely seem a lot different compared to most of the people around us. And we're just kind of like in this weird sphere of existing and finding a place in this strange universe for whatever time we have left. Well, our um, friend of the podcast told me this week when I visited them that their dad has been in like this kind of stage of a faith faith crisis like we have been oh yeah since they were in their 30s oh my goodness and they are now in their 60s and they are still having this sort of huh. crisis so they said to our friend of the podcast uh-huh that once you finally decide to like crack open that can and start asking the hard questions and looking at things the way that we've been looking at things yeah you're going to stay in this state of crisis for oh. quite a long time. I was going to say he's got a solution, right? No. <laughs> nope. You're just going to stay like this. So for those of you who have decided that you're not going to open that can of worms, more power to okay. you for staying mm-hmm. happy and not it- constantly questioning everything about your life every single day of the week. So good for you. I mean, that does make sense. I mean, to go with Robert Frost, there are two paths you can take. The one, like, and both of them are well-trodden because people have left the church and they've, like, gone to their other churches or they just refuse all organized religion. And then there's people who stay in their faith and just go on. Um, But essentially kind of like what we're doing is we're just like, we don't want either path because we still want to be a part of the church. We still want to be part of the faith, but we can't be in the same situation that we were before. So we're basically on our own path. And because there isn't really a solution, we're just kind of stumbling along in the partial darkness and the weeds. And we're like, here's something. but We're taking a machete and we're hacking a middle road. Mm-hmm. We're hacking one in be- that goes between those two roads. Right. We are creating our own. And it's going to continuously be this difficult because there hasn't really been anyone that has trodden this path like us and been as open about it as yes. we have been. And in that sphere, I would agree. But I there are definitely people out there. But my thought is that we can't take each other's path because we all understand we need our own path through it. So even when we are cutting our way through Everything is growing up still, so we can't fight anyone's battles for them. Yeah. We can't be the ones, like, people can't just follow the same path that we're on kind of thing. We have to create our own. It's like the fourth Harry Potter book. (laughs) The maze. The last last challenge of the Triwizard Tournament where they go through the hedge maze and the hedges are rearranging pathways every time you go through them. Yes. 
There you so go. So that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's growing fast. It's moving. And we can see each other along the way. We can help each other out for a minute or two. And then we have to go on our own way again because... The hedge swallows them and pushes yeah. you away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And so Real helpful stuff here, huh? <laughs> oh, I guess. <laughs> Sounds a little bit lonely and it's a little bit hard, but I would rather be here than on either of the roads right now. Same. Um, I, mean, I definitely have friends and family on each of those roads telling me what I should do. I get that. Same. And I get what they're saying, but I do like a good machete, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, goodness. Anyways, I don't remember how we got. Okay, yeah, we yeah. Welcome to this week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're still doing this podcast <laughs> after that rant. Some for some reason, I don't know why. We just can't let go of this. This is one of our machetes. Our podcast is one of our machetes. We are ranty people. We can't help it this is just who we are this is how we were made and we are going to continue to rant even if it's ranting into the void you know if like eight people only can hear our rants (laughs) at least those eight people are hearing them and not just you know our bedroom walls yes thank you so whatever to our listeners we hope you're staying sane goodness But thanks for being here with us so let's do our corrections corner okay so we just have one this week So last week when we talked about some beliefs that people have that aren't really founded in anything other than personal opinion, we mentioned one, which was fetuses having a heartbeat at six weeks. We looked it up because we wanted to verify what we were telling you. And if some of you have had this belief in the past, we would like to correct that belief. So on healthline.com, which is a healthcare-like resource where you can look up certain topics and it'll break it down for you in digestible terms so you can understand what's happening in the medical community. We learned that at six weeks, quote, an embryo doesn't have a fully formed heart, but rather a cluster of cells that emits electrical signals. Those cells will eventually form into a heart around eight weeks after the last menstrual cycle, but it isn't until 16 to 18 weeks of gestation that the heart, valves, and vessels can be seen on an ultrasound. What is labeled as a heartbeat is actually electrical activity that can be seen on an ultrasound, end quote. So those heartbeat bills that lawmakers, specifically in Texas, are making are really just not as factual as they would like you to believe. So just something to keep in mind when you hear about politicians playing in the medical world. They don't usually know what they're talking about, and it's not always as clear-cut as it seems. Although I will say that I have enjoyed those memes of, does this look like a human to you? And someone goes, it will be one day, and it's a picture of like an elephant embryo. And they're like, no, actually it won't be. It won't be. Where's that lady? (laughs) That lady just got pulled over in a... Yes, in, in the HOV lane. Yes, yep. um, because she's like, I'm pregnant. Isn't my fetus a person? Like, that's how the Supreme Court sees it. And everyone's like, no. And other people are like, well, like, based on your reasoning. And other people are like, well, then we have to give them, you know, social security numbers, even though they can't breathe yet. And there's one person like, okay, like, well, then that kid needs to be in a, in a car seat kind of thing. Like, all these other things. So... It's going to be very interesting to see if it, what hap- ends up happening from this, but the Supreme Court asked for it, so. Yep. Just like they asked for peaceful protests. And they got them, and they don't like it. 
My dinner is being interrupted. You had to leave before dessert. People are putting signs on my lawn. Oh. I would like to sympathize with him by slapping him in the face. Yeah. We are thrilled to be new members of the Dialogue Podcast Network. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Dialogue, Dialogue is a collective of independent and interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion into all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought, arts, and culture. You can support our podcast and others in the network by subscribing at dialoguejournal.com. Subscribers receive special benefits like ad-free episodes and bonus content. You can learn more at dialoguejournal.com. So check it out. Anyways, so let's continue this nightmare, shall we? Today's episode. Yay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Today, we are diving into the concept of individualism and collectivism. So originally, we called it American independence versus community mindset of the church, which basically encompasses the entire idea. We just wanted to shorten it. I don't think it would all fit on an Instagram post personally. I I try to keep that in mind these days. Thank you. Um, I appreciate it. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, then, like, there's still, like, a few directions that we could have taken this, like, globalism and nationalism and, and more, like, comparing all those things. And I know we've talked a little bit about nationalism and globalism in the past, but today we want to keep it basic and centered mostly on the idea about the the mainly American concept of individualism, which has become prevalent in the church these days, and how it affects the spiritual principle of being our brother's keeper. That's what we're talking about. So like in the church, we believe that we are invited to be part of Christ's flock in the scriptures, as well as Christ's body. So how is it that we often see that these two paradigms are clashing within our lives, as well as like what they're doing for us in church? Like we've got to like consider that. And then like as we have seen people get split up by their beliefs, mainly in America, because that's where we are. That's where we have our our best understanding of what's going on in society and politics. um, We've begun to look outward at how other nations and cultures have their own communities set up. And historically speaking, other cultures have been put together very differently. So there really is something different about America. And we want to discuss this, especially how it impacts church members. So we're going to dive into like what that is, what it means and how it affects us today. Yeah. So let's set the stage with individualism first. We're going to define individualism. So as termed by Wikipedia, it is, quote, the moral stance, political philosophy, ideology, and social outlook that emphasizes the intrinsic worth of the individual. Individualists promote the exercise of one's goals and desires and to value independence and self-reliance and advocate that interests of the individual should achieve precedence over the state or social group while opposing external interference upon one's own interests by society or institutions such as the government, end quote. So basically, individualism is all about me, myself, and I before everybody else. And if anyone tries to prioritize the greater good for the collective or for everybody else, that is interfering with my interests and my own ability to have the best interest for me. And therefore, I don't like that. So that's essentially what individualism is. Right. And it really is highly prized by Americans. That's that's our whole vein of independence. It's become very centered with an individualism. 
Americans usually view uh, the people around them as self-sufficient individuals and that everyone is their own person responsible for themselves. That's why a lot of people don't like social welfare systems. They don't like ideas like communism or, or socialism because they don't think anyone should be forced to help one another. This puts the focus of Americans wholly on themselves as individuals, collectively ignoring how what they may or may not impact the people around them. Truly, this mentality is prized by Americans so that we aren't sheep and can stand out from the rest of the world. We stand tall as patriots in a free land, so to speak. By not being easily led sheep, we won't be led astray. And that's kind of the idea. Like, especially as a homeschooled person in America, <laughs> I've heard that chatter so much in so many ways. Like, we're very responsible for saving ourselves, for helping ourselves, and so on. All right, and then I did read in a 2020 article shared by Kendra Cherry titled Individualistic Cultures and Behaviors on VeryWellMind.com. They wrote, in individualistic cultures, people are considered good if they are strong, self-reliant, assertive, and independent. This contrasts with collectivist cultures where characteristics like being self-sacrificing, dependable, generous, and helpful to others are of greater importance. Okay, so pulling from it, they shared a few common characteristics of individualistic cultures, and those include, one, being dependent upon others is often considered shameful or embarrassing, two, independence is highly valued, three, individual rights take center stage, four, people often place a greater emphasis on standing out and being unique, five, people tend to be self-reliant, and six, the rights of individuals tend to take a higher precedence. And honestly, sometimes being community-minded in America is looked at as a weakness. That's true. Which is really annoying. So if you think about what other people might need or sacrificing your immediate happiness and comfort for the safety of others is looked down on in America. And a few examples that highlight this are, I came up with two. First one is wearing a mask during the pandemic. Specifically during this stage of the pandemic, if you are wearing a mask still, you are often looked at with derision in America, even though there are so many variants, people still are refusing to get vaccinated and it's impossible to reach herd immunity. So like if you're wearing a mask, you just look like an asshole to everybody in America. So it's like you can't win, even though you're trying to protect other people. Right. And that's uh, compared to other countries. Like I know Japan um, and I think it's South Korea who often wear masks just when anybody is sick. Like if you're sick and you still need to go out, you're going to mask up. Like that's how it's always been in the culture. Yeah. And like no one sees that as weird or anything. It's just polite and it's a health safety thing like that people are trying to keep in mind for one another. And yeah, you don't get that in America. Um, I've tried to point this out to people and they just think that's the weirdest thing even though they've never had a problem with that before the pandemic. Because they're the ones that are going to work sick and getting everybody else sick. I mean, I am guilty of having done that too, but like when you work in hospitality, they don't let you take days off when you're sick, so. America's just not very nice and letting people take sick time off as it is, so. And yet we're pro-life anyways. The second example was offering help or asking for help. Yes. So offering to help or asking someone for help is weirdly taboo in America. If you are stopping to ask someone for directions or if you are accepting help when you're having a hard time, those are like the absolute last resort for most Americans. Nine out of 10 times, we're willing to struggle and suffer for hours before we finally ask for someone for help when it could have taken 
five minutes to ask someone for help and we could have saved hours of time and energy if we had just asked for help in the first place. Like it's ridiculous. Oh yeah. Um, this reminds, Oh, I will have to find some information. Uh, if you want to take a quick note while I'm talking, but there was this robot that's from, from a European country that they were sending around the world. And the robot like was able to travel like, and it's just like kind of there to like meet people. Like it can have like some basic conversation and share fun facts with people and it can like move on its own and everything. And it traveled around to like several countries and then it came to America. It went offline and wound up like in a landfill or something because Americans just super trashed it. Like it was, it was just meant to like share fun information and educate people. And Americans are like, no, we don't need nice things here and completely destroyed it. I'm not surprised. Like you telling me this story, I feel like I don't even need to fact check it because it sounds right. 100% like America. So like, I feel like it'd be Americans standing on the Titanic saying, no, it's not going down. We're not going to die. And everyone else is like, we've got room on the boat. Just come join us. And Americans would be like, no, we don't need your help. We No, you're wrong. I know how to swim. Yeah. The water's not that cold. <laughs> but also, this makes me think of last week when you said Americans aren't known for intelligence. Yeah. And I feel like that's a prime example of Americans being like, this is from some other country and they're trying to spy on us and how oh we do God. things over here because we're the greatest country in the whole world. Hoorah. <laughs> like that's. I feel like that's what's going on also, is Americans are too stupid to believe that it's just like, it's a nice experiment. Also true. Yeah. No, it has to be counterintelligence. It has to be sent from the Russians and someone is spying on us and we have to destroy it. Well, the thing is, it's always, they always think that everyone else is spying on us, like China, Russia, and they're not considering how much of a surveillance state that we're living in yeah china probably can't get through like i I don't know any of this but china probably can't get through because of how much um, the american government is doing to us especially homeland security like it's insane sometimes i wonder if like other countries try to like hack into us like our our intelligence and they see like all of the footprints that the government has and they look at it and they go it's not worth it like (laughs) It's just not worth it. I would be surprised if they're just taking people out and they're like, America will destroy themselves. It's fine. We can just just work on ourselves in the meantime. It's fine. Yeah. Gosh. So. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. Can we escape this idea of individualism? (laughs) No. So (laughs) here's the thing, though, like, because we can argue that the concept of individualism technically is pretty neutral and its usage may be too far or too much, good or bad. But either way, it has caused issues and continues to make things a lot more complicated in America. We're very focused on the idea of ourselves, our own rights, and don't really allow room for anything else. We either stand on our own two feet or we are on our hands and knees with everyone else. That's very much the mentality. So maybe we can't wholly escape individualism because if you're stuck in America, that's you're just there's only so much you can do. But we can also like find a way to do something. Like we can find a way to manage within this. I put in a quote, it doesn't like really like follow the exact thread, but I thought it was really interesting. So Pearlstein wrote the Nixonland book, and so paraphrased from it was they were talking about George Romney. 
Um, so it says he was a Republican who kept getting elected into a Democratic state, and he was considered a media darling. And he called America's cult of rugged individualism nothing but a political banner to cover up greed. But I've been thinking about this a lot ever since I saw this quote, because it makes so much sense. That's where the individualism, the, the cult of rugged individualism has definitely come from. That's why bros who make $40,000 a year are like, why are you trying to tax people that make over $400,000 a year? Why are you trying to make them like pay more in taxes? It's just not fair, bro. Like, why are you defending them? Yeah. No, you're not going to get a tax break like that. Like the people in power are just like trying to like put all of us against each other. We don't need to do this. However, I will gladly go up against Ben Shapiro because he's who just came to mind when I just reread America's Cult of Rugged Individualism. Have you seen his post? It was like two years ago where he went to Home Depot and bought like one plank of wood. And he's like, I'm a like I'm a crafter. Like I'm I'm going to work with my hands this weekend. And it's just a plank of wood that he had put in a plastic bag, too. I'll look it up. Um, yeah, like, people just, like, want to prove, like, they can do things to themselves um, or for themselves, which is fine and understandable. We should all be self-reliant to a certain extent, and we should all be capable of doing things with our hands and um, have the opportunity to, you know, care for ourselves and so on. Um, but... But the fact that we've kind of been forced into a state of being constantly pressed down upon by the people in power, like, there's only so much we can do as individuals at this point in time. We really do need to be more of a community, and people who say otherwise are kind of dumb. I found the Ben Shapiro thing. So it was from April of 2021, where he bought a single piece of, quote, magnificent poplar from home depot Ooh, that's what he called it and it was in protest at the calls to boycott the company over their stance toward georgia's controversial voting law so it was his way of protesting the boycott of home depot with one plank of wood one plank of wood it looks like a one by six I'm pretty sure he doesn't even know what a one by six is, but that's pretty much what it looks like. There's no way he's going to use it for anything. Oh, no, for sure. No. And it is indeed in a plastic bag. (laughs) It doesn't even go up to the halfway point on that plank of wood. (laughs) There's no reason for the bag. I just. He's just wasting it. How is that not satire? Like, how is it not? It doesn't make any sense. His entire existence is essentially satire. Like anything that comes out of his mouth. I. You can't take seriously. We're not here to rant about Ben Shapiro, but we will gladly do this at any given point because we have more than enough material and he continues to give us more than enough material. I will not lie. Um, His dramatic (laughs) reading of WAP lives rent free in my mind. Oh, it does. It does. It is always there. The only time he will ever make me smile. Um, (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Anyways. Okay, let's get back to <laughs> back to the podcast. <laughs> oh my god, this happens every time we record. Okay, all right. <laughs> Individualism is fairly, very much innate to America, at least the way it's viewed today, under the notion that all men are born free. Which, of course, we do have to consider how it was written and composed during an era where people of color and women were not considered equal or complete people. And the inequality continues to cause issues and so much pain and heartache today. And, like, the church is not devoid of, like, 
ignoring this issue as well. Like, oh yeah, sure. Everything's good to go and ignoring all the problems and all the people and everything. Um, but we do have to consider that the restoration happened in this land. So there is still going to be something fairly American about the church. And while the early saints distrusted America and sought their escape into the wilderness in Utah, which was not American property at the time, it was technically Mexico. Gradual changes through the last 200 years have brought us around in the other direction. We talked about this a lot in our last episode about like how things have changed and how, you know, like, Mormons weren't originally like known for like being smart or anything, but like we also like didn't want to be American at all. And I know so many people who will try to argue that they they will, and they're gonna like go pull out all those books from Desert Industries and say, "Hey, no, a Mormonism is very American and everything." We're not interested in hearing that. However, especially like we got Joseph Smith, who did run for president to try and change things. And he wanted to rewrite the Constitution, which everyone would be so mad about today. So while we're not here to say what he did was right or wrong and what the early saints did was right or wrong, the notion that a good LDS saint is also a good American doesn't fit. It's not a parallel. It's not meant to be a parallel. Although I will say that his desire to rewrite the Constitution was in line with what the founding fathers wanted because they said they wanted to have it rewritten every like 25 or 30 years, something like that. So that is very true. That's how, yeah, the average time frame for how long a constitution lives. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I did find another article that I found was interesting. It comes from the Santa Clara University. They had a short article from their publication of issues in ethics titled Creating the Good Society. And this was written by Claire Andre and Manuel Velasquez. They reference Good Society, which is a nonfiction book that discusses the institutions of government and economy within America and how they hinder their own purposes. So so this article reads, In the Good Society, sociologist Robert Bella and his co-authors challenge Americans to take a good look at themselves. Faced with growing homelessness, rising unemployment, crumbling highways, and impending ecological disaster, our response is one of apathy, frustration, cynicism, and retreat into our private worlds. The social problems confronting us today, the authors argue, are largely the result of failures of our institutions and our response, largely the result of our failure to realize the degree to which our lives are shaped by institutional forces and the degree to which we, as a democratic society, can shape these forces for the better. They also write, what prevents Americans from taking charge is, according to the authors, our long and abiding allegiance to individualism, the belief that the good society is one in which individuals are left free to pursue their private satisfactions independently of others, a pattern of thinking that emphasizes individual achievement and self-fulfillment. I just really like this. It was a short article, and but it does make you want to read the book. Uh, the good society and it just has such a good point because we're so focused on what we can do personally that we're not considering what we need to do for everyone like we still have rising um, i mean okay employment unemployment is kind of like at a standstill last i checked um since many are considering the pandemic over and everything but we do have growing homelessness we do have crumbling highways and we're constantly on the edge of impending ecological disaster And so little is being done about any of that. And I could pretty much go anywhere in the country and see all of these problems. Like no one's tried to fix it. And anyone who is trying to fix it are stopped because no one wants them to do that. So like we've prized the idea of individualism 
so high that we're not actually able to do anything to help everyone. It's fascinating that we end up becoming victims of the institutions that we initially created and think that we can't do anything to fix them because we are so individually minded as a country. Whereas like other countries, like France, for example, will like get together and throw a kitchen sink through the president's window when things are going badly in the country and like demand change because they're collectively minded and they're like, no, we're not playing this game anymore, sir. So Right. And I've been thinking about a lot of the other protests and problems and things that other people in other nations are doing in regards to like these kind of issues, because we could be doing all this too. But the thing is, we don't come together that strong enough as that strong as a society because of our individualism. I've been talk I've been listening to a lot more voices recently about you know, like how we all want to be able to do something to help people who need abortions. We need to help people who are like losing their rights. We're trying to like build connections and everything, but we need that groundwork foundation laid out, which is very hard to do when you're raised in the mentality of individualism so strongly that it's hard to change it to collectivism, which requires you to really heavily rely on other people. It requires grassroots efforts, which are hard to get off the ground to actually function in America because of that. And we're in an extreme police state in America where, like, even if we did collectively unite, we would be met with the most insane police force ever, like military grade level police force, like everywhere in the country. So it's like, it's basically the Hunger Games out here. What is that super individualistically minded brand of conservatism libertarianism it's weird like there's as little government as possible essentially because there were a group of people who tried to do that in america they made their own they basically bought the town out built their own little community and we're like we're gonna be as individualistic as possible basically no government to tell them what to do so that they could be their own person and do you know what happened? Bears. Their town fell apart because of the bears. Because they couldn't function to put take care of all their trash. And so the bears came and ran them out. Very simple, but like a little poignant, I think. We have to work together or nature will, <laughs> will get us. All right. So let's talk about how individualism affects us in the church. So Henry B. Eyring recently said... You can see that we have moved in many ways under President Nelson's leadership toward a home-centered and individualized leadership style. In a way, this is good because we do have more agency and control over our form of study and how we do study, gospel study. It does encourage us to be accountable for our own spiritual growth, and it provides more opportunity for us to learn and apply gospel doctrine and resources in our own lives instead of just relying on other people to do the work for us. But it's definitely not perfect still. There are major concerns for single adults or for those without a home for people to join them in their gospel study. It's also a move away from community and learning from others, and it forces individuals to kind of figure things out on their own which can also lead, in my opinion, to people misinterpreting the scriptures and never learning the correct principle. For example, 
if you were reading in the Book of Mormon about the curse of blackness and you don't have someone there to tell you that it's not a literal thing, you could misinterpret it and start thinking that any person of color has the mark of Cain and is cursed and will become white again in the future when that's definitely not what it means. So we can see how individualism can really negatively affect us in the church. We can also see this in the ways that some church-related situations are managed, like the honor code at church-owned schools, where people can and do report on each other when they think that someone is not living up to the right standards, especially when all they get is a snapshot image or they overhear someone saying something in passing without knowing the full story or the context of the situation. Like it could have been them talking about a friend at another college that did something really terrible and someone overheard that and decided to report them to the honor code office, So, which has happened in my school before. We also need to understand that there are times where church members will ask for aid and know just what they need, but they don't get it. I've experienced this as the Relief Society president, and I've seen it happen, and it really pisses me off. I used to think it was like a once in a while kind of incident it happens a lot yeah like and i haven't like had like a role like yours but it's become very evident just in like the last like five years for me personally how often this happens and this is really painful to hear because we like to think that we can help each other out and we're here to help each other out and we have so many resources as a church but yeah those who need one kind of support can get ignored and are given paltry aid that doesn't actually solve their troubles because those who giving the aid think that they know best. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case. That's rarely the case. And you can feel good about yourself for helping people. But that doesn't necessarily mean that was the spirit telling you good job. It could be your own pride telling you good job for doing something nice today. I mean, just the easiest example is like in our singles ward, we had members who worked three jobs who worked at all of the theme parks in Central Florida and would have like a medical emergency happen. And so they would be out of work for a week and suddenly unable to pay their rent. And so they would ask for assistance to pay rent. And the bishopric would say, you need to ask your family first, or you need to do X, Y, and Z, or let's look at your budget and let's see if we can rebudget for you and create a new budget for you to live off of. And in the meantime, they are like two weeks behind on their rent where it could have just as easily been like, okay, I understand you were out of work. There's nothing you could have done about it because you were in the hospital. Here's the money to cover that portion of the rent that you couldn't afford. Or like, here's something to help pay your medical bill or something like that. But instead, it's we're going to do everything but give you the money that you actually need. And it happened a lot. And it really pissed me off. Yeah, it's such a problem. Yeah. And then the last thing is the fact that people can get excommunicated also doesn't really settle right with us. But I want to specify that in a situation where individualism is usually accepted and praised in the church, being too different can get us into trouble. I want to say that excommunication in cases where people are like abusing their spouses, hurting children, doing illegal things, I understand. I totally understand. But if you are going to be excommunicating people for being outspoken or more liberal or slightly against what your idea of the church should be, that is not okay with us. 
seemingly now more than ever, members of the church are at risk for being excommunicated in the U.S. specifically for being more liberal and more outspoken in their liberal views as members of the church. Right. We, what we've been able to find in our research and regular like viewing of Mormon related material, more people get excommunicated for speaking up about how they believe that doctrine can and should be interpreted. They get excommunicated more often than those who are doing terrible things like abusing each other or the children in the ward and things like that. Or participating in trying to overthrow the government. Hey. Yeah. So honestly, individualism is at odds within the church because ultimately individualism has us trying to become the same thing, the same cookie cutter version of what a member of the church looks like. There's this twisted oneness in individualism where, for example, you get a bunch of Mormons together in Utah and suddenly all they all start to look, sound, and act exactly the same and think the same too. Yeah, there's a certain look, there are certain expectations of how to be, appear and behave and react and believe and everything. It's ridiculous. In order to be Mormon, you're expected to look a certain way, otherwise you don't really fit in. Like, individualism has certain standards, and then you become one of them. If you don't conform exactly, though, then you're a problem. So it's individualism as long as you're the same. And we're not here to say, like, everyone in Utah is the same. We do know a lot of outspoken and strong LDS um, philosophers and thinkers and creators who are absolutely brilliant. But they're also constantly fighting against the flow of everything else that is going on. And you can see that like through the way like politics have really interrupted our way of life in the last five six eight years it's really shifted and affected the way that we operate and think and even act within society and that definitely is no different than it is in the lds culture we've grabbed onto something and we're hanging on to it and everyone else is like well if i'm gonna be mormon then i clearly have to be like that too and that's the most important thing so i'm gonna forget all this stuff that I've learned and go with the flow basically here because they kind of do make sense if you look at it this way. It's very painful and I've seen people start to change a little bit at a time um, while I've been here and like I've noticed moments where I'm like oh that kind of does make sense and then I have to catch myself and I'm like no no it doesn't like why did I just think that to myself this isn't right this is very bad. Yeah it's not really individualism here it's a cultish way of thinking kind of thing. It's like the star-bellied Sneetches book from Dr. Seuss. I'll let you guys read that on your own while we uh, discuss collectivism now and how that differs from individualism. So for another baseline definition of collectivism, we turned to study.com, which is a resource for people that are continuing education and just want to have complex concepts broken down into easy, manageable pieces. So this website says that collectivism is, quote, the state in which people are in cohesive groups, where social and individual relationships are strong. In other words, collectivism is an act of enhancing groups rather than individuals in society. Collectivism refers to any organization of people, either cultural or economic, that values group needs over the needs of individuals. A collectivist society's primary method of operation is collaboration, interdependence, and adherence to rules and regulations. 
There are no individual person's needs as all needs resonate with all people in society. It then follows that people work together to realize a goal that would benefit society. Besides, in a collectivist society, the property is held as public where individuals have access to it. This situation is also applicable to other resources. With such relationships where people work towards a common good, individuals have unison and cooperation, end quote. So to continue in this vein, we're going to go back to the verywellmind.com article on individualistic cultures and behaviors where the author explained, quote, this tendency to focus on personal identity and autonomy is a pervasive part of a culture that can have a profound influence on how a society functions. For example, workers in an individualist culture are more likely to value their own well-being over the good of the group. Contrast this with a collectivist culture where people might sacrifice their own comfort for the greater good of everyone else. Such differences can influence nearly every aspect of behavior, ranging from the career a person chooses, the products they buy, and the social issues that they care about. Approaches to healthcare, for example, are influenced by these tendencies. Individualist cultures stress the importance of each person taking care of his or her own self without depending on others for assistance. Those in collectivist cultures may instead stress sharing the burden of care with the group as a whole, end quote. So honestly, and I know we've talked about this before, collectivism is essentially the law of consecration in action. Mm-hmm. And we already covenant to live the law of consecration. We'll talk about the spiritual aspect of this later, but I don't understand why it's so challenging for Americans and especially for members of the church in America to grasp this concept and to like sacrifice their own comfort for the sake of helping other people. No, because it is very rooted in that individualism and that Americanism though. Like, and I understand like we've like the gospel has spread to other regions and other cultures, which is amazing. But like, it's very much still stuck in that mentality. Like, because I don't think other people in a lot of other countries are going to have a problem with that, but you are in America. You're going to see that individualism and you're like, it's going to be like this, but it's not communism. It's not socialism. It can't be that because those are bad. And my upbringing um, up until like the last, I guess, eight to 10. Nope. Yeah. Eight to 10 years of me teaching myself and going to non LDS related schools is when I start to saw more about what socialism and communism is and understood like, okay, it's a thing. It can be used for good and it can be used for bad, just like anything else, like capitalism. Like there are good t- ideas to a lot of things and it's how we use them that make them bad. And because America accepts individualism and only allows for individualism, anything else is seen as the enemy. I wish it was more complicated, but I really don't think that it is. And it's just like our the American unwillingness to accept that there can still be independence within a different mindset, such as communism. Ugh, it just, it's a problem. It's annoying. It's really it just is. annoying. Okay. Yeah. So following that article, there is a, there's a follow-up article by the same author, Kendra Terry titled, what is a collectivist culture? And it has a few more like details that I'd love for us to dive into. So they wrote in collectivist cultures, People are considered good if they are generous, helpful, dependable, and attentive to the needs of others. This contrasts with individualistic cultures, which often place a greater emphasis on characteristics such as assertiveness and independence. Common traits of collectivist cultures include 
individuals define themselves in relation to others. For example, I am a member of. There's also communication is often more indirect to avoid potential conflict or embarrassment. Group loyalty is encouraged. Decisions are based on what is best for the group. Compromise is favored when a decision needs to be made to achieve greater levels of peace. Working as a group and supporting others is essential. Greater emphasis is placed on common goals than on individual pursuits. And the rights of families and communities come before those of the individual. Which honestly just sounds so much better. It does in certain situations. It just sounds better to me in general. It does. Um, but I do want to consider that there are still issues with that. And especially because it does conflict. So you can see that a lot in like some Asian cultures, particularly, and how it contrasts with Western ideals. And it just makes me think of this one, like... This one TikTok story that like went viral for a bit, this young woman came to America, like her parents helped her get her education. And now because she's got a good paying job, she has helped her sibling to come to the States and to do the same thing. However, her sibling is using that money and playing with it instead of using it for an education. And they keep asking for more and more and more. Because they are family focused and everything, the parents keep asking um, the older sister to say, hey, your sibling needs more money. They need more money. You need to do what is best for the family and what is best for the family because we say it is you need to give them more money. And they're like, I don't have any more. Like, that's not how this works. I can't keep doing this. And I need to cut you guys off now. This is not good for me anymore. And you guys are hurting me. And so they've had to step away from their entire family to do so. They've they've chosen the individualism over the collectivism because that was what was best for them ultimately Um, which is understandable and we've seen different types of situations kind of like this and we know that there has been a lot of discomfort between some asian cultures and american um, ideals for this kind of reason i'm not saying that one is better than the other i know that they both have their own problems but there's definitely a way to find peace within them both Because, like, that's what we need. Okay, the article continues, Collectivist cultures are usually contrasted with individualistic cultures. Collectivism stresses the importance of the community, while individualism is focused on the rights and concerns of each person. Where unity and selflessness or altruism are value traits in collectivist cultures, independence and personal identity are promoted in individualistic cultures. So these cultural differences are pervasive and can influence many aspects of how society functions. How people shop, dress, learn, and conduct business can all be influenced by whether they are from a collectivist or individualistic culture. For example, workers who live in a collectivist culture might strive to sacrifice their own happiness for the greater good of the group. Those from individualistic cultures, or on the other hand, may feel that their own well-being and goals carry greater weight as compared to everyone else. So that kind of goes back to like what I was saying. So like neither are perfect, but like we can't be so individualistic that we're not considering the whole group, which is what is happening in America. And we are finding it to be a little bit stronger within the church now as well. There are two things that we also wanted to provide a few um, examples. Um, So one I wanted to include was the George Floyd Square. It is officially the George Perry Floyd Square. It is the commemorative street name for the section of Chicago Avenue in the U.S. city of Minneapolis in Minnesota. And so what they've done a lot um, is that the people have tried to take the area back, to take the street essentially back from the city. Um, So they've claimed it. They are constantly trying to plant things there, keep 
the police out of the area. They're constantly going there to protest, to celebrate, to to do whatever they can to show that they own this and not the government, not the police or anyone else. And they've done um, a few events along the way through the last um, two years to kind of showcase this, that it really is about the entirety of the group and not just one person. And so it's become it's come to mean a lot to a lot of people. And there are one or two really strong voices on TikTok that I've had the joy of listening to and learning from as they've tried to change this mentality from individualism to collectivism within this precise community in this area because it has so much meaning. So the one that I wanted to include in this is a Japanese reality show that's available on Netflix. It's called Old Enough. This show follows small children in Japan that are going on their first errand. And I mean children as young as two years old running an errand or doing a task for their parents. So they are entrusted with money and a task of like going to the market and buying apples or picking up dry cleaning or dropping off lunch for one of their parents at their jobs. Something something very small and simple. They do this at like a very young age because it teaches them how to be independent and confident, but it's also a fantastic example of collectivism in action because everyone in the neighborhood and in the community will help the child get to where they need to go safely. So they will, like, there will be old ladies or, like, old men that are standing on the street that will watch them go from, like, the mom's house to, like, the corner. And then there's, like, another adult that's, like, around the corner that like is in a shop and they'll watch them go to the store and they'll like help them get directions to where they need to go if they're lost or like speak for them if they get to the shop and they're really nervous and they don't want to talk. They're so helpful and they're so kind and it's never a question of will the child be safe because the entire community takes care of this child and one another by extension. And I just... I love watching this show because it's just, it's so pure. And then you see the joy of the kid afterward. And you even see how happy like the neighborhood is that the kid was able to do this thing. Like it is so stinking cute. So if you need to watch like an example of collectivism in action, go watch this on Netflix. It's called Old Enough. I do. I love it. Well, and then you also tied in the independence of it as well. So like, that's a beautiful blend of them being able to do something on their own and being supported by everyone else and their independence to be able to do this. That just warms my heart. It's seriously the cutest show. Like it is. It's been on my list for a while. It is so cute. I have to go watch this after we record. So that kind of goes into one thing that I want to like, make sure that we mentioned that we do have an overall circle of influence around us human beings within society we have a circle of influence a way to connect with each other we are a social species there's always a few outliers but we naturally do come together we regroup and we build our communities so it is natural that things will start to fall apart the more we try to stand apart everything we do affects those around us it's essentially a ripple effect ourselves we've got our inner circle of friends and family um, people closest to us and then it goes out with acquaintances and so on The circle branches out. One thing we do, one decision we make can ultimately affect more people down the line. And that is something that has to be taken into consideration with individualism and collectivism. Because we can think that we're standing on our own, but everything we do still affects everyone else. Just like Pocahontas says in Disney's Pocahontas, 
And we are all connected to each other in a circle, in a hoop that never ends. Jenny, that is a pretty good example. Indigenous communities were always, um, from my understanding, from my education, they were another good example of collectivism. Even in America, like immigrant communities are definitely collectivist communities. And they all like help one another to like network, learn English, create job opportunities for one another. Like they are taking care of one another. So like there are pockets of collectivism in the United States, but we need to expand that out to the entire country, truly. So let's talk about how collectivism affects us in the church. Because if there's one thing that leaders of the church often emphasize in conferences, at local levels, everything, it is unity. Unity with our heavenly parents, unity with Christ, unity in our stakes and wards, and unity in our homes. But how does that match the programs and other messages that we are also told in the church? For example, self-reliance. Self-reliance has been greatly pushed within the LDS culture for the last five to ten years, I know the self-reliance program has been going for many, many years before that, but it's really been pushed over the last five to 10, especially. And there are several initiatives, classes, and more where understandably the church wants each member to be independent and to try to sort out life's challenges as best they can on their own before reaching out for church-sponsored assistance, such as monetary aid or relief. To an extent, we agree that independence and personal responsibility are very valuable traits because we do realize that we can only get ourselves through this life and through to heaven. Like we are responsible for ourselves in that respect. Yeah, technically that's true. And it's always, it's typically best that in order to help other people, we need to be able to help ourselves. Like exactly. we do have that mentality. So like there is a certain level of self-reliance and personal responsibility that we do have to consider. However... We have definitely taken it to the extreme in the last five to 10 years by pushing so heavily on self-reliance that we completely forget the Lord's command for us to care for the poor and needy, to be our brother's keeper, and for us to be the body of Christ. That's a command from Christ himself that like we are his hands. We are all part of the body of Christ, which means that we are supposed to be working like Christ on earth and caring for the people that the Lord can't physically be here for. Right. And what like, and kind of like what we talked about earlier about like not getting the right kind of help. What I find a lot of people at least discussing, I haven't heard of this happening too much, but I've heard about people discussing it more than enough that it does concern me. Um, is that people are like, yeah, we have such great self-reliance programs. The poor people need to be doing this too, so that they're not so poor. If they need help, we should be telling them to do these programs and then they'll get better where that's not solving their current situation or their current problems where they might be about to lose their house. They might be able to, they might've just lost their job and so on. Self-reliance programs are great, but you need to be able to have the time to put in that effort to take care of all that. Whereas most of these situations tend to be more along the lines of emergencies where we need immediate change created for people. Also like, Giving a poor person a budgeting lesson is like the biggest slap in the face ever because nobody knows how much money they have better than a poor person. Nobody knows exactly what's in their bank account better than a poor person. Hello, that is me. That was me for a very, very long time. My entire 20s was the struggling person not making enough money and just struggling to survive. 
I knew down to the penny how much money was in my bank account at all times because I was so poor. And I knew that if I spent anything outside of this specific amount, then I was in trouble when it came time for rent. So trying to tell a poor person that if they just budgeted better, that they would be fine, that's not the thing to do. That is not going to help anyone. It's going to make them angry and make them consider murder for a minute, for a a, a good minute. Which you would deserve. And so just, just don't do that. So let's look at the scriptures because the scriptures present a very different case. The scriptures present the need to work, sacrifice, and make decisions on your own before going to the Lord, but they also emphasize the call for unity from both the Savior, who is seeking us to unite with him and to unite with one another, as well as the call for us to tend to one another and to be his hands. So as we reflect on the American influence within the LDS church and how other cultures have been tying in the notion of a strong community, we need to go back to our source of faith and see what the scriptures say about individualism or community or collectivism. One of the very first scriptures that you can see about this is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, which says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, and be courteous. That sounds like collectivism to me. Yeah. Well, then the thing is, we've got that in the Bible, and we've got it through all of our other books, including the Book of Mormon. We've got Mosiah 18.21. And he commanded them that there should be no contention one with another, but that they should look forward with one eye, having one faith and one baptism, having their hearts knit together in unity and in love towards one another. Constantly, the scriptures are constantly saying, love each other. There should be no poor among you. No one should be like too high and mighty. Like constantly, that's all the scriptures are telling us. The next one in DNC 3827 says, Behold, this I have given unto you as a parable, and it is even as I am. I say unto you, be one. And if ye are not one, ye are not mine. If we are not focusing on one another and working together and being of one heart and one mind and one people, we are not the Lord's. And if you don't think you're going to be held responsible for that or accountable for that at the last day, I don't know what to tell you because that's going to be a question. Oh, shoot. Um, Revelation. I just realized that whenever I think about heaven, I'm really only thinking about myself. I'm not thinking about a community. Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking about all the people who might be there. I'm not thinking about how I might want to connect with them. I'm just thinking about what it's going to be like for me, which is understandable to a certain extent. But how am I going to be in heaven? How am I going to enjoy heaven the next life without a, a better mindset of unity? I don't think about heaven often as it is because I don't like the traditional idea of it. But in my past thoughts, I just realized that that's happened a lot. I think about it a lot in the sense of I think about, am I really going to want to be there with all of these people that are holier than thou and claim to be better because they are a certain way and exclude people? I don't want to be somewhere where these specific people are not, like the people that I really love and like the groups that I really care about and am passionate about. Like I want to be where they are. I don't want to be with boring white people right i've always had well i've always had a problem with the idea of heaven as it is because i always i still picture as very white um and i don't like the color white so immediately i'm already made uncomfortable by the idea 
Um, and it just, it, it usually gets worse from there. Um, we can talk about heaven another time, but <laughs> yeah, that would be a fun episode. Our ideas of heaven. Yeah. There we go. Yes. Maybe we can draw it out <laughs> like the Disneyland episode. Yes. Um, but, and the last one, the last scripture that we'll share about this is Moses seven, verse 18, which said, and the Lord called his people Zion because they were of one heart and one mind and dwelt in righteousness and there was no poor among them. Collectivism at its finest. I mean, that's the idea of Zion in itself, like the oneness, the unity. We can't have a real Zion or heaven without that. I mean, the basis for LDS theology really doesn't support individualism. Think about the city of Enoch. People had to work together to get to that point. They couldn't all be themselves be really good to get themselves to that point. They couldn't live in their city in the clouds by being on their own and ignoring each other. Especially when we do think about the law of consecration, which we have done um, an entire episode about. It's episode 77. We covenant in the temple to live the law of consecration. If we are unable to start thinking about the needs of others now in this life, how are we going to be able to do that in the next life? I know I've got a lot of work to do, um, but I also just think that a lot of people have a lot of work to do as well. (laughs) Um, We got to work together in doing this. You guys, come on. Like we have to support each other in our progress and our learning and everything that we're doing. It's in the scriptures when people work together that great things happen. Okay, Jesus didn't work alone. He had his 12 disciples. Nephi was able to bring his entire family. There was a lot of give and take there. There were a lot of problems and a lot of abuse, but they still, it required them to work together to get things done and happening. And then even like Moses leading the Israelites, were there problems? Yes. But when they were working together, when they were united, things worked for them. Progress gets made and good things happen when people come together. It's simple as that. So where do we go from here? What do we do next? Interesting person to pull a quote from. Um, I know. But Dallin H. Oaks can once in a while be right. And he said that in service, we find heaven-sent opportunities to rise above the individualism of our age. So, and pulled from the Santa Clara University article that I shared earlier about the good uh, society, they also shared and pointed out that not all is lost. They wrote that the authors see hope, however, in renovating our institutions in a way that will revitalize and transform our democracy. In a culture of individuals possessed by individualism, such a transformation will not be easy. First and foremost, we will have to shed our individualistic blinders and learn to pay attention in ways in which we are dependent on and collectively responsible for the institutions that shape our common life. From a focus on self and a view of society as unrelated, autonomous individuals, we will come to look beyond ourselves and come to view ourselves as members of a larger community concerned not only about ourselves, but about our fellow Americans, peoples of other nations, future generations, and non-human life. When citizens are engaged in thinking about the whole, they find their conceptions of their interests broadened and their commitment to the search for a common good deepens. So the result is an informed and morally sensitive public active in discussing and debating issues ranging from international financing to daycare within a framework informed by a shared vision of a good society and a citizenry capable of instituting reforms in our economic and political institutions so that they work for the common benefit of all peoples. So there is hope, but we have to shed 99% of that individualism. 
we need to have enough individualism to essentially get ourselves to that collectivism, to learn for ourselves, learn how to pay attention, learn how to listen, and how to best affect change. Because a lot of the times, yeah, we are just thinking we have to do things on our own. It's the only way, which is why then a lot of people turn to apathy and um, are like, okay, no, I can't do this. It's too much. Whereas small things can create a lot of change where standing at a protest as one of many peacefully protesting can create a change where putting your name, um, your signature on a petition can help you create change. It's one person who is part of everything. You need all the drops in the ocean to create the ocean. So we put together a few tips to help us better ourselves and become better part of our community and to work on collectivism from the individualist perspective. So breaking out of individualism in small ways that we know that we can control and influence our community for good. So the first one that we have is to continue learning how we can help ourselves and help others through learning life skills like first aid, cooking, cleaning, sewing, woodworking, gardening, anything like that, and learn what it means to be prepared and help others to learn those skills as well. Teach preparedness classes and help them to gain those skills as well. The more we know, the more we can help those around us. Mm -hmm. um, another thing we can do is be aware of and listen to the people around you to pay attention. So people can really always use some help. Um, but we don't like to come out and say it. we've like Tracy's already talked about how like Americans really don't like to ask for help. And even if we're like, okay, yeah, I could use some help, but we don't know how to ask for it. We don't know how to say it. So what we need to be able to do is look for ways that we can actively support one another um, by looking at like, okay, you know of a person who is a new mom. You can ask about taking care of their kids, taking care of their house and so on. Look at the things that are going on in their lives that would just make things a little bit easier for them to just be moving around comfortably in their current life. It's not like we have to constantly do grand gestures of kindness for one another. It's in the small daily acts of kindness where we can benefit those around us. Mm -hmm. I think a great example of that is in the Northeast specifically. In the Northeast, we're not nice, but we're kind. We may not be nice to you on a regular basis. Like we may not say, hi, how are you? We, not, we may not be friendly. But if you have a stroller and you're trying to go up the stairs from the subway, someone will just pick up the stroller and help you carry it up the stairs without saying anything and just keep moving. They might not talk to you, but they're going to help you. If you drop your wallet on the street, someone might pick it up and follow you down the street to give you your wallet and then keep going on their merry way. Like they'll do kind things and help you, but they won't come out right and say nice things to you. So like those are little ways that you can be aware of the people around you and take care of the people around you without having to do these big grand gestures too. I like that a lot. I like something else that you noted, which was like, don't go to work sick. Mm -hmm. Like that, that should be a no brainer. Um, but also in America, we don't get sick days typically. Um, and so people are still going to church. They're going to work. They're going to the stores while they're sick. Um, which we really shouldn't be doing. Um, we could be taking care of flu season. We could be taking care of the pandemic by actually trying to be a little bit more careful and doing that. Like, yeah, we understand you have to go places, but a lot of people have been able to go remote since this time. And there are delivery systems and stuff and the ways to cancel events and cancel tickets and everything. Like if you're sick, it doesn't mean that you should, you know, call out sick from work and then go to the movies it means that you should be at home 
resting so that you can feel better and not potentially getting other people sick. And the third tip we have is to create connections. In the church, we do have systems set up for emergencies. And if Florida, for example, you have hurricane lists, not only do you have like hurricane prep lists, but you have lists of people that you're supposed to contact to let them know after the hurricane that you're safe, you're or before the hurricane comes, that you're in a safe place, you have everything that you need, and you'll be okay for the hurricane. And then once the hurricane passes, you report back that you're safe if there was any damage to your home or anything like that. And then that, like everyone checks in on one another during hurricane season. We can, believe it or not, do this outside of emergencies and crises as well. We can do this with our friends. Do we check in on one another? Who can you add to your circle of check-in? It could just be as simple as like someone is leaving your house late and you want to make sure that they made it home safely. Check in. Just check in with one another. I still have so many of my friends who are like, hey, just call me or text me when you get home so I know that you're safe. Simple things as that can be so beneficial. And like it adds like that level of like connectivity that, you know, like you love to have in friendships and everything. Like doing things like that can be very helpful. Um, I know there is some of that you can kind of do on Facebook. Like I remember when the Pulse shooting happened in Florida, like I had people checking in with me. I had my work checking in. Like when I came into the office, like, hey, are you doing okay? Did you have any friends there? Like, can I do anything to help? I mean, I was very fortunate, so I wasn't really affected, but I knew of other people who had been affected and with everything that was going on. And I had people reaching out during the hurricanes and everything. They're like, hey, we're worried about you. Are you safe? Can I do anything for you? And it's just things like that um, that can create such a difference, especially if that person does need help. Um, Or if you can't connect with them, have something planned in advance so that you know how you can try to reach them to find someone who can help them to make sure that they are safe. We're a community, like just by being humans in society, and we should act that way. So in wrapping up, today's episode. We've talked a lot about the difference between individualism and collectivism, but ultimately we cannot be our siblings keeper when we aren't connected to them, when we're not prepared to help them, and when we're not even aware of them and what they might need. While we do need to start with ourselves and we do need to make sure that if you can't help yourself or if you can't love yourself, how in the heck are you going to help anybody else or love anybody else? We understand that. But it is important that we create connections and create a community mindset that helps everyone else to grow as much as it's helping you to grow. Having a community mindset doesn't mean that you're completely giving up everything about yourself for the greater good of the people around you, but it's being aware of the choices and the actions that you make and how they affect the people around you. And whether that's for the positive or the negative, it just matters that you're aware that there's an effect that your choices make on other people. Exactly. And I mean, if you ever need to look for sources, just go to the scriptures, turn to any of the books, and you're going to find perfect examples of people learning how to be a community or people making mistakes when they are not. We do need each other. We need to support each other. That is how we are going to get to heaven. I know we talk about the straight and narrow path, but we really aren't alone on it. There are people with us and we need to be able to help them. To help them, we do need to know something along the way on how we can help them. And hey, if you're learning together, then that works too. But being so much of an individual that you're not connected to anyone is just going to hurt you. And 
and everybody else. Self-awareness is a very important skill to have. It is very important with community and collectivism, too. Just being aware of yourself, your choices, your actions, your words goes a long way. So just food for thought, people. So this week, we encourage you guys to consider who you're, who is within your community, um, who else you can bring into your community, and how you can best um, help them. Yeah. So thanks for joining us this week, everyone. We hope you learned something new and had a good time and made it through all of our rants okay. I mean, they, were, they weren't too bad. Uh, well. <laughs> we're just glad you're still listening. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, thanks for joining us this week, guys. We will see you next week. Yep. Bye. Bye.